This is the Make Dementia Your Bitch podcast, where I explain how caregivers can lovingly respond to confusing or challenging behaviors and reconnect with family members living with dementia. The information in this podcast is for educational purposes and is no substitute for medical advice or care. Hello, and thank you for joining episode 66, all about behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia. I'm your host, Rita Jablonski, and welcome. When you say the word dementia to someone walking along the street or someone you would meet in a social setting, I'm positive that that person will immediately think of Alzheimer's dementia. The average person may picture a frail man or woman in their late 70s or early 80s who repeat themselves, get lost, and are very confused. However, there are a group of disorders known as frontotemporal disorders. Behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia primary progressive aphasias, and frontotemporal dementia with motor neuron disease. That's frontotemporal dementia with movement problems. If you want to hear about the primary progressive aphasias, I have talked about that in a previous podcast. Today's episode focuses on behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia and is dedicated to the people living with this type of dementia, and their care partners. This is a highly misunderstood type of dementia. And the goal of today's podcast is to explain where the behaviors come from and, of course, what to do about it. Behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia, which is a mouthful, so the abbreviation BVFTD, which is uh, easier to handle, is caused by excessive accumulation of a protein known as tau. Tau, T-A-U, proteins are necessary to keep the structure of brain cells called neurons stable. For reasons that are not yet fully understood, some tau proteins go haywire and reproduce so quickly that they clump up and choke off healthy neurons in the frontal and temporal lobes. Some will choke off neurons outside of the tau proteins. Some of the proteins go into the cell and reproduce and go crazy, and so they kill the cell internally. There's a lot of research going on in this area, and even if you go online and look at many credible resources, there is a UK site that talks about frontotemporal dementia. There are sites that are supported by the National Institutes of Health and other well-respected universities. Should you go on the internet and read up on behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia, you may see some conflicting information. And that's a reflection of our evolving understanding of what is going on. All you really have to know is that there is a misbehaving protein that goes crazy and destroys brain cells in specific parts of the brain. 
I'm going to talk a little bit about the frontal lobes of the brain, which lay behind the forehead. And these are the lobes that get attacked early in behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia. When I talked about the primary progressive aphasias, the temporal lobes, which are underneath your temples on either side of your head, those areas tend to experience problems first, and then other parts of the brain are involved. And the same thing happens with behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia. The frontal lobes are attacked first, then it moves into the temporal lobes, and then the tau clumps go further into the brain and affect other areas that are responsible for memory. So let me talk about the frontal lobes. The frontal lobes are the last lobes or the last sections to mature in a human brain. The frontal lobes represent the mature adult brain. This area is responsible for one's ability to reason, think through decisions, Consider consequences of various actions, plan steps to achieve results, delay gratification, and most importantly, this area houses a lot of our social knowledge and our emotional intelligence. The frontal lobes are so important for imagining how it may feel to be another person, for knowing what is socially appropriate and not appropriate. And the frontal lobe, well, actually there's two of them, frontal lobes, but oftentimes I'll speak about it singularly. But the frontal lobes are also important for an activity known as behavior monitoring, which is being aware of how my behavior affects others. And if I am behaving appropriately within my cultural and social environments. And here's the thing. Most of us have multiple social environments. I have a faith community environment. I have a a fun environment, which is when I go out and ride uh, my horse and I hang out with all my barn peeps and we all act silly and, you know, we have a good time, laugh and carry on. And then I have my work environment where I may have a humorous conversation with someone I feel comfortable with, but for the most part, I am more reserved in that work environment. And if I'm seeing patients, I have yet another set of norms that govern my behavior. So as I move around in my life, I know what is okay for me to say or do in one environment versus somewhere else. And when I'm, say, having dinner with my daughter or visiting with my son, we may joke and engage in behaviors that have, say, meaning, like inside jokes and old family stories that to an outsider would maybe be confusing But to us, because we have such a shared knowledge and we've lived together for a long time before everybody flew out of the nest, we have, again, our own, say, norms for that type of behavior. And I know this sounds like I'm belaboring the point, but when I talk about behavioral variant FTD, this is going to make so much sense. 
When people experience behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia and they lose neurons in the frontal lobes, many of these very important abilities start to weaken. One of the first signs of behavioral variant FTD is a significant change in personality, in habits, and in social interactions with others. There is something called emotional blunting, which is the loss of concern or empathy towards other people. A family member may come up to the person with behavioral variant FTD and share some horrible news like a a really serious medical diagnosis. And their family member may just look at them blankly and then change the topic. And they're hurt because let's say I got a, a really bad test result and I may have cancer. And if I were to go to my sibling and tell my sibling what happened, and if my sister were to just go, okay, and walk away, I would be hurt. But that is... Now, this assumes that you've had a really good relationship with the person. If this person has always been kind of an a-hole, then that's not behavioral variant FTD. This is something that is very different from their life history. For example, you may have the devoted and caring spouse who is loved by many in her community because of her gentle and kind nature. This is the person who always knows what to say to make people feel better. And all of a sudden, this person is making hurtful, insensitive comments to her spouse and friends. That's a red flag that this may be someone experiencing behavioral variant FTD. People with behavioral variant FTD also experience something called apathy, which is a lack of interest in or caring for previously valued work, hobbies, and other interests. For example, you have the well-organized business person who keeps neat and up-to-date business transactions, takes pride in his service to customers, and delivers all the necessary paperwork to the accountant every January 2nd. And you start to notice that this person has become careless and needs extensions for filing these taxes may be uh, somewhat unconcerned by customer complaints. And you're thinking to yourself, you know, this isn't the person I've worked with or I've known for so many years. People living with behavioral variant FTD may show something called disinhibition, which is engaging in inappropriate or impulsive behaviors. And this is because the frontal lobes are the brakes of the brain. I may think that one of my coworkers is a nasty piece of work, but my frontal lobes stop me from voicing that opinion to that coworker during a work meeting. Or you have the responsible and respectable high school principal who has worked in this same high school for 25 years without any concerns and is suddenly acting inappropriately with female students. Other signs of disinhibition include new episodes of shoplifting or aggressive outbursts.
Impulsive behaviors are another sign of behavioral variant FTD. As I said before, the frontal lobe is the adult part of the brain and it puts the brakes on behaviors and it stops me from doing something repetitively. And as that, as those frontal lobes are compromised, one sees behaviors that are repeatedly performed and include repeating the same words or phrases over again. It may manifest as new hoarding or the person clapping or making bizarre sounds or going to the same place at the same time every day for no apparent reason. This is not me going to the campus coffee shop every morning around 11 o'clock for my infusion of caffeine because I, I have a goal and I'm doing something. This is someone who may want to go someplace that's not particularly good for them or there's no reason why they're going to the same place at the same time every day. The key issue here is unusual behavior or significant change in usual behaviors. If someone was always bad with money and becomes worse in their later years with handling their finances, this is unlikely to be behavioral variant FTD. If someone was always sharing inappropriate and snarky comments their whole life and becomes even more vocal and obnoxious in later adulthood, this is probably not behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia. Behavioral variant frontotemporal dementia tends to show up in people between the ages of 35 to 64, but the majority of cases present between the ages of 45 and 55. Now, these numbers vary according to which source you read, but the, the gist of it is behavioral variant FTD shows up in a younger population where no one is really thinking, ah, this could be dementia. Behavioral variant FTD is also considered a less common dementia, occurring in about 2 to 10% of all dementia cases, depending on which study you read. Because of its relative rarity, and because the first signs of behavioral variant FTT are behavior-related, no one really thinks of dementia at first. If someone has a lot of apathy, they are usually diagnosed with depression. If someone has a lot of compulsive behaviors, they may receive a psychiatric diagnosis. If someone has emotional blunting and disinhibition, friends and family either think the individual is having a midlife crisis or is simply being an asshole. It is not uncommon for individuals with behavioral variant FTD to get into legal and or financial difficulties before more symptoms show up and they arrive in the neurology office. Even then, the diagnosis can be missed. I work in a busy teaching hospital and am part of a memory clinic that is the only one in the state. So it is no surprise to me that 30% of my practice, at least 30%, involves working with people living with behavioral variant FTD and their care partners.
I also wonder if the low numbers of occurrence are due to problems with diagnosing behavioral variant FTD. Because in the clinical practice in which I work, it is not uncommon for us to see people who have received multiple diagnoses before they come to us and we definitively diagnose. And the diagnosis can occur through imaging, MRIs, and there are distinctive changes that are associated with behavioral variant FTD. But it helps to have a previous MRI for comparison, and that's often not the case. There are certain types of PET scans that can be done, and uh, what's called FTG scans, where a radioactive sugar substance is injected, and certain parts of the brain that are not as active don't suck up the sugars. But even those scans can be difficult to interpret. Where I work, we have another device that can take these images and assign numbers to the different shades and produce a clearer picture of what part of the brains are less metabolically active. And I have seen FTG scans that we looked at and, and, and I was like, what exactly are we looking at? And then the neurologist smiled and showed me the second scan in which these number these images were put into a, an algorithm and new images were created by assigning numerical values to low active areas of the brain and high active and then recreating more distinctive images. And with that second type of test, we were able to see very clear parts of the brain that were not as metabolically active. And these were usually the frontal lobes. So there are way, there are methods to diagnose, but not every neurologist or medical center has access to some of these more refined tests. And that's because these tests are expensive. You need people who know what they're doing and can maintain the machinery, and that's not an expense that all medical centers can absorb. Caring for someone living with behavioral variant FTD costs over twice that of caring for a person with Alzheimer's disease, in part because behavioral variant FTD shows up early and usually during that person's prime earning period. Resources like respite centers have been developed and are focused on people with Alzheimer's. And most people with Alzheimer's are at retirement age. And I'm not talking about early onset, I'm talking about late onset. So these respite centers tend to operate from with hours such as from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., which is really not helpful if I'm working full-time and I need a safe place for my family member with behavioral variant FTD. Places like care homes, assisted living facilities, and nursing homes have been designed predominantly for people with Alzheimer's. The staff may not be prepared for the 55-year-old physically strong male who argues with staff and becomes very angry when he does not get to do what he wants. 
Many of these facilities are designed for frail, older adults who have more memory problems than behavioral problems. I have seen many family members face extreme difficulty placing, obtaining placement for their loved one with behavioral variant FDD. In fact, most assisted living facilities or nursing homes tell the family members that a psychiatric facility is the appropriate place. However, most psychiatric hospitals in the U.S. are for short-stay patients. Thanks to the massive closings of psychiatric hospitals during the Reagan era without the development of appropriate community resources. I'm going to take a break, and when I come back, I'm going to talk about ways to handle these behaviors. Welcome back. Before I continue, I just want to let you know, wonderful listener, that I recently adopted a really cute cat by the name of Lady Grey. She was found with her kittens abandoned and the kittens were all adopted. And this cat is, is even though the vet places her at about a year, maybe she acts like a kitten and she's really cute. The issue is my lovely pandemic puppy, Amira is getting accustomed to the cat and Amira has been doing very well. But there are times that even though I have Amira under control, Lady Grey has gone up to poor Amira and antagonized her. I apologize if you hear any commotion. Lady Grey also wants to be a co-host for the podcast. And she is currently walking around and blocking my view of my screen and very interested in the cables. Hopefully she doesn't eat any of them. When I do my monthly webinars, and one is coming up the first Monday of December, you may get to see Lady Grey as she walks in front of the camera and otherwise acts like a cute little kitten. The first action is to educate family and friends about behavioral variant FTD. I hate that this burden falls on family caregivers who are already overwhelmed. You can put a link to this podcast episode on your social media and have your family and friends engage in some self-education. Another step to take is to have pre-printed care cards available. These are business cards that say something along the lines of, my loved one has a brain disease and may show bizarre behaviors. Thank you for your patience. This is especially helpful if your family member makes rude or offensive comments in public. And I would recommend that you have these cards because they may help reduce a, uh, an awkward or volatile public situation. And you can put whatever you feel comfortable with on these care cards. You may want to put that my loved one has a type of dementia called behavioral variant FTD and may show bizarre behaviors. It's really up to your comfort level and also how you think your family member may react. 
As much as I would love for others to understand and be sympathetic, I know this is not always the case. If your family member with behavioral variant FTD does not respect others' personal space, if they make rude or offensive or racist comments, or try to touch strangers, it is a good idea to limit outings to times when there are fewer people. This may mean running errands during off-peak hours. It is probably a good idea to maybe speak to the manager or owner of a store that you patronize and let them know that your family member has a type of dementia that causes them to act in odd ways, but they are harmless. If an employee shows understanding and caring behaviors, thank and compliment them. Apathy is another behavior that is such a struggle for family caregivers. If you want to keep your sanity while caring for a loved one with behavioral variant FTD, you will need to change your expectations. And I know that's a lot to ask, but you can either keep chasing what used to be, which is simply going to increase your pain, or you can adapt to the situation. One family member would give her spouse a list of chores to do while she ran errands. And in the beginning, that worked. Over time, she became upset when she arrived home and noticed that he started one or two, but never finished any of them. I explained that at this point in the disease, she may get better cooperation. And that's such a bad word because it's not like he's not trying to cooperate, but she may get better outcomes if she starts breaking down the chores into steps. So instead of writing, do the laundry, she may need to write down, put clothes in the washing machine, add the detergent, and turn on the machine. As a sidebar, I would recommend those laundry pods rather than powders or liquid because there is a risk that the person with behavioral variant FTD may dump in too much powder or liquid and make a mess. As the behavioral variant FTD worsens, your family member may need more supervision and direction. Because they have trouble focusing and become easily distracted, it may be best to work alongside them while doing an activity and redirecting them should they start to wander away from the chore. You may need to cue them to the next step as well. Sometimes apathy shows up as refusing to shower or change their clothes. And oftentimes the person doesn't refuse. The person says, I'll do it later. I'll do it later. And that can drive you crazy. Rewards are more likely to get a response. People with behavioral variant FTD respond better to rewards than negative consequences, which are meaningless to them. You can use different rewards, like including an activity that they like, such as going for a drive or going out. Now, if you're using food as a reward, you're going to tread carefully there because people with behavioral variant FTD experience something called hyperorality, which is a focus on anything that has to do with the mouth. This hyperorality 
may show up as the person wanting to use a tobacco product and they've never used it in the past. Or they begin to crave and overeat specific foods such as sweets or carbohydrates. They may have problems limiting drinks. And this could be any type of drink, including alcohol. And when you are dealing with hyperorality, you you kind of become almost a warden and, and locking up or removing foods that are problematic, which is a challenge when there's other people in the household. And while it is tempting to purchase large quantities of specific foods because the larger amounts are uh, cost less, and if you purchase a small quantity, the, the unit price is less, it may not be worth it if your family member with behavioral variant with behavioral variant FTD craves those specific foods and may get into the five pound box of cookies and eat all of them in one setting. Oftentimes, family members will note that the person living with behavioral variant FTD starts to gain a lot of weight because they are craving and eating sweets and carbohydrates and they're not wanting to eat healthier foods. Some caregivers purchase or make jello that contains fruit like berries, bananas, mandarin oranges. So they're able to address their person's desire for sweets while controlling some calories and improving nutrition. Now, what about the angry outbursts that happen when you tell your family member with BVFDD no? To deal with anger, it is best to use the okay and approach. You respond okay to validate that you heard them, then use the word and and redirect. Most of us say no, but, or a, a hard no. And when people hear no over and over again, especially people with BVFTD, there becomes more irritability and often rages and outbursts and more arguments. Let's say you were making dinner and your family member with BVFTD tells you that he wants some cookies. If you say no, the anger and arguments are going to escalate. If you say, okay, and I need to make dinner first, you may have a better shot at avoiding an outburst. Now he's going to come back to you and say, but I want cookies now. You can respond, okay, and can you get some paper towels for me first or whatever task you want them to do. As you use this strategy, you will get better at finding out what phrases work best after the okay. And it's funny, I have people in my university who are part of my research and project teams, and they are very aware of this strategy. And one person on my team confided that she used the okay and with some people in the environment who were very unpleasant, who would come up to her and argue about something and she would simply say okay and, and then say what she needed to say. So this strategy can work in a variety of situations.
Family caregivers often request medications to deal with many of these difficult behaviors. There are no medications that keep someone with behavioral variant FTD from making rude public comments, being impulsive, or wanting to eat an entire five-pound bag of cookies. Sometimes well-meaning clinicians in the community will prescribe drugs known as benzodiazepines as a way to calm behaviors. All that does is further remove the breaks. It's almost like giving alcohol to someone with this disease. It may relax them, but it makes them even more disinhibited. That is not a a safe route to go. Medications that are classified as antipsychotics are often prescribed because there are no real other options. These medications often sedate the person living with behavioral variant FTD and may slow down or reduce some behaviors. For example, some of the repetitions or may blunt some of the anger, but not always. If the person living with behavioral variant FTD becomes dangerous to themselves or to you and others, your only option is to call emergency services and have them evaluated in a local emergency department and likely admitted to psychiatric services. Their behavior will be stabilized and they will be discharged. And sometimes things go okay after that. However, if you go that route and you are concerned that once they get home, things are going to, the cycle is going to repeat and it is likely that it will. If you believe that you cannot provide a safe level of care in the home, this is the time to ask social services to find placement instead of discharging your loved one home to you. I realize that this was a long podcast, and I also recognize that I have only scratched the surface of behavioral variant FTD. If you are a caregiver for someone with behavioral variant FTD, send me some questions or concerns that you have, and I will provide more information in a future podcast. Also, if you reside in the Birmingham, Alabama area, there is a... uh, meeting, I want to say the, the December 6th, the, the first Tuesday in December, there, there are a group of people that are trying to put together an FTD support group. Because for those of you who are care partners of people living with FTD, your needs are very different. And you're probably sitting in the local support group where people are predominantly caregivers of persons living with Alzheimer's, and you're thinking, this is really not helpful. Or you bring up a situation and everybody just looks at you funny. I really think that caregivers of persons living with behavioral variant FTD benefit from an FTD-specific support group. And one of the local churches is hosting an event to gauge how much interest there would be in such a support group. And I have the information in the show notes. I also want to let people know that I will be hosting my monthly dementia support and education free webinars. And that is the first Monday in December. 
and it will be 6 p.m. Central Time. And again, there is information in the show notes. Thank you for joining me in today's podcast, and thank you for your patience as my little fur babies were interacting in the background. Together, we're going to make dementia our bitch. I hope you found this podcast helpful. Please rate and review on your favorite podcast platform so other dementia caregivers can find this podcast. If you are a caregiver for someone with dementia and need help understanding and dealing with these behaviors, please contact me. You can find me on Facebook, Make Dementia Your Bee, or email me, info at makedementiayourbitch.com.